0: mm Is he counting? Or I can start now? Do you see yourself? Yes, I do. Go forward. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, great. Uh, so welcome to the uh, Serious uh, Security Seminar Series. Uh, and uh, today it's my great, wow well, anyway. I, it's, it's my great pleasure to introduce myself. Uh, I am uh, Yan Chu from uh, the Computer Science Department. I am uh, an assistant professor and uh, my research areas uh, include uh, computer malware defense investigations, uh, virtualization technologies, and the application of virtualization technologies to uh, uh, system security problems and to virtual distributed computing problems uh, in the on the internet and in the uh, cyber infrastructure. Um, so today I'm going to talk to you about uh, some of the work that we've been uh, uh, doing in the recent uh, uh, month Uh, Namely, the uh, OS-level Taint Analysis for Malware Investigation and Defense. Uh, So this work is in collaboration with a lot of people. Uh, Some of them are uh, recent graduates uh, uh, from Purdue, actually from Sirius. Uh, first of all, uh, Professor Shushan Zhang at, the, at George Mason University and Professor Florian Buscholtz at uh, James Madison University and Aaron Waters. So these are the guys who uh, work with me and, uh, uh, when, when they were graduate students at Sirius. And also Dr. Yiming Wang uh, from Microsoft Research and of course uh, uh, Professor Spaff at Purdue. So uh, this work is motivated by the uh, by the problems of, uh, 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 with uh, internet malware. So internet malware remains a top threat uh, to our cyber infrastructure, to the internet, and to our computers. So malware is kind of a generic term because it kind of uh, 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 characterize and uh, uh, it means a number of uh, you know, bad software, things that uh, uh, perform malicious uh, things on your uh, uh, computer system. So this include uh, computer viruses, computer warrants, and spyware, for example, things that got uh, secretly installed on your machine and uh, do bad things or uh, steal your uh, uh, personal information or uh, steal your identity. And also, uh, uh, like in, in the recent past, we have seen the uh, emergence of uh, bots or botnet, meaning that uh, you know, the, the, the malicious software agents kind of organize themselves into a powerful network doing bad things in a collaborative way. And uh, if you look at this report, this is actually a report released by Symantec, you will see the number of incidents of malware or viruses or warrants in the past few years. So you will actually see an increase from uh, the late 90s to the early 2000s. You know, the incidents, the number of incidents of malware uh, on the network and these are actually uh, uh, malware that have been uh, detected and uh, captured. So you'll see like the increase uh, in the number of incidents and also you will find some of, the fe- uh, some of the famous incidents or some of the famous warns that you must have uh, heard about uh, in the news media. So if you pay, so that's not the main gist of this picture. So the, the main goal of this picture is to show you the the, the mysterious decline of malware incidents starting in year 2004 so if you look at this figure you realize that where 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 are the bars for year 2004 you don't see that right because uh, there is kind of a strange decline of uh, malware or internet warrants or viruses uh, discovered uh, by uh, investigators so is this a good news Uh, we we definitely hope so but unfortunately that is not the case because the problem is that these malware or uh, viruses or warrants are getting stealthy Meaning that uh, they try not to do massive uh, propagation in a very short period of time because that can immediately catch the attention of uh, malware investigators and they can, uh, uh, like the investigator can, uh, you know, in turn come up with defense mechanisms, right? So, in order to be, uh, in order to avoid being detected, these viruses uh, try to do stealthy things and uh, try to... um, kind of uh, hide themselves. So they try not to do massive, uh, fast propagation. Instead, they just kind of, in a very stealthy way, get into your system and lurk in the system for a sustained period of time. And during their residence in your system, they do all kinds of bad things, you know, in the background in a, in a very secret way. And they try not to be detected and they try to be uh, hiding from uh, the existing intrusion detection system or the anti-virus uh, software, okay? So, and, and again, uh, we have kind of a, so this is kind of like a characterization of the new features or the trends uh, taken by the malware uh, authors. So they increasingly use, for example, new exploitations or new vulnerabilities. So as soon as a software vulnerability is released, uh, a new viruses or a new virus or new malware can be um, uh, relatively fast developed. So they use some of the exploitations or the specific vulnerabilities that uh, does not come with the corresponding patch. So this makes the system extremely vulnerable if your system is infected by such uh, so-called zero-day, uh, zero-day exploits or zero-day attacks because these are brand new and these are without any cure, any patch, right? And the second strategy we have uh, been noticing is that uh, the, war- the warrants or the viruses are taking this slow and low approach, meaning that they just do their propagation in a very slow way. They, so, it, it, like in the past few years, uh, some of the warrants are able to infect all the vulnerable machines on the Internet within uh, seconds or minutes or hours. So now they realize that this, is, this may not be a, a good strategy for them because um, you know, that will kind of lead to a uh, relatively fast response uh, you know, uh, uh, from the defense side. So what they do is to do the low and slow infection, right, and uh, so basically it can easily kind of uh, uh, get round to the intrusion detection system or the trapping, uh, internet trap system so that they they will do the propagation without being noticed. And some of the uh, new uh, attack strategies include uh, you know, exploiting uh, some of the vulnerabilities on client-side software. So the first generation computer warrants uh, usually exploits vulnerabilities in a uh, server-side software. For example, like your uh, web server. Your DNS server, or your, uh, you know, the, uh, 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 you know, DCOM or uh, or remote procedure call. So now they are targeting your uh, uh, the software that you use on your desktop, like your web browser, your email reader, uh, your instant messenger, uh, things like that. So this becomes a kind of a, a emerging trend in the uh, malware development. Um, and also they kind of uh, adopted, they're adopting also some of the non-traditional media or, uh, or, or, or vehicle of prop- in, in propagating the, you know, the copy of the malware. For example, we have actually seen uh, uh, viruses that are spread using the RFID tags uh, and also uh, uh, using cell phones and things like that. So this kind of uh, creates a kind of a additional level of complexity and challenge uh, on the defense side. So... Uh, and, and more recently, we have also found the trend of, uh, you know, organized crime by uh, these uh, malware incidents. For example, I'm sure you have heard of the term botnet, namely, you know, a group of bots kind of uh, collaboratively, uh, you know, uh, do bad things, including, uh, you know, ddosing a uh, website, right? Ddosing uh, cnn.com or uh, sending spam emails. So in fact, a, a non-trivial percentage of uh, spams that are sent out uh, to, you know, to people on the internet are uh, are sent by by these uh, bots, so they are actually coordinated, and uh, they are in the, under the control of a bot master. And the bot master kind of just secretly infect your machine and take control of your machine, you know, within days, weeks, or months. And then they will actually use it, use you know, all the bots that they control uh, to do all kinds of things. So these are what they call the value-added services. To us, these are the value-added harm. So we need to kind of really uh, uh, get very serious about that. Um, and also uh, now I- I- even a-, a market is emerging. So actually, these bot masters actually sell the identities of the bots to uh, third-party uh, uh, evil doers, right? Because they actually sell these bots, you know, for uh, you know to spammers, you know, to people who want to send out, uh, you know, spam emails about you know stock, you know, stocks or other things, and uh, they can make a profit. So this is now we uh, they actually have economical kind of economy incentive. Uh, to do these uh, things. So this is what we call the botnets for sale. So all these are the trends and uh, problems with the current malware. So this is the state of the art uh, kind of a malware uh, uh, propagation and uh, contamination on the system. So for for, for malware investigators, uh, namely us, uh, so what are some of the tasks that we have to uh, engage? So the first thing is to identify uh, the signs of malware infection, right? Because uh, this is always the first thing that you do. Uh, for example, how do you detect that your system is infected by a malware? So, namely, what's the detection point? So sometimes you realize that, um, for example, uh, you realize a suspicious process, or you realize that a new file, uh, you know, kind of a strange file created on your computer or sometimes you notice that uh, you know, a file gets corrupted or uh, deleted and all kinds of things. So these are the signs of malware infection and contamination. So the task for the malware investigator to ca- is to catch these signs uh, you know, as soon as possible. And you, as you will see, this is not always easy. And once you identify the uh, the infection or the intrusion of a malware, the following tasks are the following. First of all, you need to kind of, uh, you need to kind of investigate through which software or through which um, uh, uh, um, vulnerability, right? Did this malware infect your system? So there must be a door, there must be a, uh, a, a, a kind of a leak in your system that kind of attract or that kind of led to the, uh, the successful intrusion uh, into your system. So the first task is to identify the breaking point. The breaking point is usually a vulnerable software, a software that communicates with the outside world. For example, on the server side, a vulnerable software can be a web server or a DNS server or you know, other server software. And on the client side, this vulnerable software can be your a web browser, uh, your uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, email reader, or your instant messenger uh, software. Right? And then once you identify the breaking point, that's, that kind of only completes the first step of, uh, of, of the malware investigation. The second step is to enumerate or to identify all the damages that the malware has done to your system during the, during its residence. So this, always, uh, this, this is also important because you want to understand what kind of harm the malware does to your system, and in some cases, you may want to recover from the damages done by the malware. So these are the two things identifying the breaking point, number two, identifying all the contaminations, okay? So, uh, like in the defense against the malware, right, or in accomplishing the two tasks that I just mentioned, uh, the researchers and practitioners have uh, developed a a, a number of uh, powerful tools based on logs, right? So I want to show you briefly how uh, does the, one of the uh, like some of the current log based uh, malware intrusion investigation tool uh, uh, uh you know uh, uh, re- respond to a malware uh incidents. so uh let's take the internet worm for example let's say this is a worm that targets the vulnerability of a uh, specific version of a web server right so once compromising your web server right this this worm, right in this case uh, that so that's the, 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 the incidence of the malware, uh, will create, uh, for example, additional processes, right? For example, the t- most typical one being, you know, like opening a shell. So this shell process can further uh, spawn multiple processes. Some of the processes, like this netcat, will actually scan or uh, like uh, uh, look into your files. So this kind of can potentially lead to the, uh, uh, you know, unauthorized disclosure of uh, file content of your, of your machine. And also, it can modify or you can corrupt Local files, right? I mean, by this shell process, and it can further spawn processes that will further uh, download additional malware into your system. For example, this is how uh, you know the malicious attacker install like backdoor or rootkit in your system. Right? So these are, the things, these are the bad things uh, done by this malware after, intru- after uh, entering your system. So it enters through the breaking point of the vulnerable HTTP daemon. Right? That's its breaking point. And once break- after breaking into your system, it performs a number of things right? in the steps. So the current log-based approach, the current log-based tool for malware defense Uh, they actually record the steps or the system calls made by the malware or by the relevant processes and they are able to reconstruct the bad things done by the malware once uh, uh, you know uh, once the malware existence or once the presence of the malware is detected so this is relied this relies on a uh, 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 you know a thing we call the detection point so here if you see the the, the, you know the, the the alert right for example, I noticed that uh, a rootkit has, depl- uh, has been installed in my machine. So that is uh, what we call an external detection point. So from this detection point, we want to answer the question, what is the original breaking point? right? What's the vulnerability, what's the specific vulnerability of my system that, led, you know, that ultimately led to the installation of this specific rootkit? So that's the first question. The second question we want to answer, once you have that external detection point, is the, uh, enumer- is the identification of all the damages, right? Because uh, in addition to the rootkit installation, this malware does other bad things, including, for example, reading your files, creating uh, additional processes, or uh, you know, uh, uh, downloading additional uh, malicious software, things like that. So you are supposed to identify all these uh, actions. So these are the things that uh, the malware investigation is supposed to um, uncover. So let's take a look at how uh, these two steps are done by the current log-based investigation tool. So it starts from the uh, collection of logs. So by logging the uh, system calls made by the malware, or made by the malicious processes created by the malware, so you can actually see a whole bunch of actions uh, you know, in a form of system calls, right, during the residence of this malware. For example, including the uh, creation of new processes, the, uh, the reading of files, the downloading of, uh, you know, the opening of a new socket, downloading additional uh, malicious software, things like that. So every system call is locked right and these log entries are stored in the log file for uh all you know for future forensic investigation so now so everything i just talked about namely the collection of log happens during the runtime of the system right and then at some point so this some point could be like days or weeks or even months later after the initial intrusion of the malware so at that point Maybe as a user, I realized that I, I found this, you know, kind of a weird file or this, uh, you know, malicious process running in my system. So that is considered the external detection point because that one, you know, that, that, that sign is noticed by me, the user, right? And once I noticed this, uh, you know, anomaly, I will tell. I will report this uh, to my assistant administrator, right? And then the administrator will kind of uh, retrieve. So this now everything you know I talk about next uh, happens offline. So once this incident or this detection point is reported to the to the assistant administrator, the system administrator will use the log uh, entries, right, that have been collected, uh, to perform the investigation. So the first step of the investigation. Is to uh, retrieve all the previous log entries right from you know like uh, in, in the past week month or even year right and then it would start a reconstruction process so this reconstruction process starts from the detection point right it will start from the corresponding log entry that logs the action of installing this rootkit and we will go all the way back to the original breaking point of this malware incident so once you identify, for example, that a specific software that communicates with the outside world, namely, uh, in this case, the HTTP daemon, we, 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 we can tell that the initial breaking point of this malware incident is a vulnerable web server. Right? So by doing that, we're kind of backtracking the actions performed by this malware based on the log entries that have been collected in the past. So you now re- so notice that this backtracking process uses the entire log file, the entire log file as its input. Right? It just grab the relevant log entries and put them in the right place and reconstruct the story. Right? So now we complete the first step of a malware investigation procedure. And there is a second step. Namely, I need to identify all the other damages because if you, as you realize, these are not the only damages done by the malware because it does something more. Right? And then with this breaking point identified, we are able to again use the log entries. <clears throat> collected and we will kind of uh, kind of uh, pull out the relevant log entries and construct you know the entire graph and this graph kind of identifies or reveals all the steps all the bad things done by the malware so that kind of completes the process of malware investigation using the log that has been collected all right <clears throat> so this is the state of the art this is the typical workflow of doing malware investigation or forensics um, so we identify a number of problems with these, appro- with, with, with these tools. So the first problem is that, as you realize, in order to go in order to go from your detection point all the way to the uh, to the to the uh, to the breaking point, to the initial breaking point, you have to use the entire log file, right? As input, you need to pull out, you need to scan all the log entries, and you need to construct a graph. And you can imagine that the construction of the graph is pretty co- computation intensive because it involves the scanning and the examination of all the log entry in the log file. So basically it needs to analyze the entire log, right? In order to identify the breaking point. So once you identify the breaking point, you also need the entire log to identify all the contaminations. So basically these, both these two steps require the entire log as, as the input for this forensic investigation process. The problem is that you can imagine that, like, thousands and millions of log entries are generated every day, right? In fact, uh, based on a a recent experiment, uh, you know, gigabytes of log entry, gigabytes of log data are generated on a daily basis. This is a very typical kind of a web server kind of a workload. And uh, so basically, imagine you use this gigabyte of log file to perform the forensic investigation, you you are likely to experience a relatively long Uh, uh, forensic investigation uh, procedure, right? So the time uh, taken to identify the breaking point, the time taken to uh, uh, identify the contaminations uh, tend to be long. And we want to reduce, you know, the overhead and the latency of such investigation because timely uh, investigation is critical because once you identify all these things, you can correspondingly come up with the patches or you can correspondingly, you know, perform some of the recovery operations and you can, you know, uh, 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 in a very timely fashion, Notify you know other users of this uh, specific vulnerability right and so that the, hopefully their system will, will be kind of patched or prevent uh, prevented from uh, from similar attack so basically you'll see that th- there, there there is a problem with this long detection period so this is what we called the uh, the intrusion occurrence and detection interval right and this interval is the interval from the uh, from the point your the malware intrudes uh, in, in, you know infects your system to the Time instance when you, I as the user, I, you know, uh, get suspicious of my machine or get suspicious of something uh, going on in my computer. So this can be, you know, this interval can be days, weeks, or even months. And you can imagine during these days, weeks, or months, gigabytes, hundreds, and tens, and hundreds, and you know, thousands of gigabytes of log and log data are generated. So basically, that makes your forensic investigation process longer and longer. So, and another problem is that. Maybe you have realized that the you know all, the, the thing that triggers this investigation, or you know not nothing but you know, is is is, 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 is 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 the identification of a suspicious activity by the user, namely myself, right? So basically, you have to wait until uh, a suspicious uh, until an, an anomaly or you know a suspicious uh, item is uh, identified. And then we can trigger the investigation. So this may be kind of uh, you know too late sometimes because maybe the malware has already done most of the harm and also uh, the bad things. Because these are actually, uh, so the investigation process is triggered by external detection points. So during, during the time, you know, during that uh, occurrence detection interval, the log file simply sits there passively. The log file itself does not contribute to the triggering of the investigation, right? Because the log file is involved after I identify that detection point. So I want, so it will be very desirable for the log file to provide some of the leads or some of the hints or anomaly warnings to trigger a more timely malware investigation. So this capability is not provided in most of the current uh, log-based approach. So uh, to address you know these uh, problems, or to fix these uh, limitations, uh, we um, we we come up with a uh, a scheme called process coloring. So process coloring uh, can be e- can be readily applied and integrated into the existing log-based investigation tool. So the investigation tool does not have to be modified. They can still use their reconstruction algorithm, uh, parsing the log entries and construct the uh, you know the step by step story of the malware intrusion. The the advantage of our approach is that we tend we make the investigation process shorter. And let, let me show you how. So the main idea is to do some tainting. So I want to do something you know proactively, right before the incident happens. I want to kind of uh, you know assign different colors to different software systems. Like, I will assign a color to my web server, I will assign another, a different color to my mail server, and I will assign a third color to my DNS server, you know, so on and so forth, right? Now, every one of these software systems is a potential breaking point. We just don't know yet, right, at that time, when we we kind of attained uh, these different systems. So what I want to do is that I want those processes created or spawned by these uh, server processes to inherit the color of the original software, right? If you do that, you can realize that the color, the corresponding color of these uh, potentially vulnerable software gets propagated and tainted to all the subsequent processes and objects. So by objects, I mean like, for example, files, share memory created by processes or sockets opened by these processes right so everything will be tainted with the same color so i want the color to record the traces or the footsteps of 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 a sequence of operation so now uh, with this coloring or this tainting scheme you can naturally partition your log entries into multiple subsets and each subset bears a different color so i will show you now and next you know why such partition is powerful and useful in in improving the efficiency of malware investigation so i use the same example but now i want I, i i integrated um i have integrated my process coloring scheme right i want to show you how i can improve the efficiency of malware investigation so before i start the system i need to do some extra work i need to proactively taint or dye my server applications with different colors, so now you see you have the you, you, you have the, you, you have the gold, you have the yellow you have the blue you have the red right so these are the different colors assigned to different uh, software so now let 's focus on the httpd that 's the web server right so this let 's say imagine that this warn targets the vulnerability of this HTTP daemon, right? And uh, it will uh, first uh, compromise this uh, vulnerable software, and then the, once the malware uh, uh, you know, enters your system, it will create additional processes, and these processes will open file, read file, you know, uh, create new processes, and you know, doing all kinds of things. Now the key difference is the following. Every step it takes, the, colors, the, the red color follows, the action of the malware. So that's the key difference. If you look at the previous, the traditional way malware investigation is done, such tainting does not exist. Now I have this tainting process, you know, that you know that occurs at runtime, following the actions of the malware. So maybe at this time I'm still I'm still not aware of this, you know, that the bad thing's going on uh, in my computer. But at this at, at some point, if I realize that, for example, a rootkit has been installed. Right. Let's say you know again. Let me let me let me let me show you the same scenario. Now let's say I, as the user, notice that a rootkit has been installed. What do I do? Or what additional advantage I have? You can immediately check the color of the file, right? And then you can immediately tell that this is due to the uh, vulnerable HTTP daemon. You can do that even without performing a log-based analysis, because of my proactive tainting work. Right? Because now the rootkit file bears the red color. And we know that the red color must, been, must have been inherited somehow, transitively, from originally the HTTP daemon. That's one big advantage. The second benefit. Now you realize that the log entries are partitioned into multiple subsets. Every subset has its own color. So in order to reconstruct the whole story, in order to reconstruct the whole episode, I no longer have to use the entire log as the input to my uh, in forensic investigation tool. I only use the subset that bears the red color. That's it, right? And you can use the same algorithm. You can use the same reconstruction algorithm as, as, you, uh, you know, as the algorithm used in the traditional tool. So that part we don't modify. That's why I'm saying that uh, this technique can be readily integrated with the existing forensic uh, analysis tools. So let me just show you a kind of an excerpt of the log that we captured in a, in, a, in, a, in a virtual uh, environment. So this is actually the log entries uh, uh, that, that that correspond to a slapper worm uh, <clears throat> intrusion. So you see log entries of different colors. Every entry records a system call, right? It's that simple. The only thing, the, the good, the beautiful thing is that now they are they are naturally partitioned by their colors, right? So once you identify this. Specific you know this suspicious log entry namely you you while you are well, not supposed to have a you know suddenly have a a shell code you know uh, a, you know launch in in your web server so that's highly anom you know that's highly suspicious so once you have that you can immediately tell by the color of the corresponding log entry and you know that this this shell code must have been introduced or you know uh a, a, a caused by initially by the uh, by the H T V. yeah uh, did you add the uh on the log file, did you add the, just the color, or was the already was the HTTP already added, or was that already present in the log file, or did you just add, did you add the tag of the HTTP? Uh, I add I add the tag to HTTP, so I I do need to kind of inc, uh, you know uh, 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 record this additional information, right? For example, so before that didn't even have the sendmail or the HTTPD, it didn't have any of that. No, they do. Uh, before <laughs> before you can use the system, so during the system initialization stage, we pre-color or we pre-tamed, you know, these different software. Like same mail, HTTPD, DNS, you know things like that, right? <clears throat> so this is great because you can safely you can safely ignore those blue entries without affecting the accuracy of your investigation result. Yeah. Um, how would how would it be different than actually maybe taking the process number or maybe the the actual name of the Process. Uh, that's a great question. In fact, I have a answered, I, I have an answer in the, to this question in my in my technical report. We can't, So basically, in short, uh, we cannot use the process ID as the uh, partitioning uh, uh, index because the process you know the process ID does not kind of uh, does not get uh, inherited and propagated you know throughout you know the uh, process creation and the pros, you know uh, and other process operations uh if you look at if you look at for example the child the process created by a parent process does the child process inherit the process id it does not right it, it is assigned a you know completely independent process id so if you use the process id you lose the provenance you lose the lineage of 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 of, of its origin yeah so this is a separate force that you're creating or how is this How's it actually implemented? Uh, we, we you have to modify the operating system kernel. So for every system call, you need to add this tainting operation. Okay. That's why we call it the operating system level tainting. So in fact, this is this also shows you a uh, you know a, a part of the investigation or the reconstructed episode of slapper one infection, right? And uh, you can see like the uh, uh, like the ovals are the uh, processes, right? With the process numbers, and also uh, you will see that um, for example now you see like there are two different IDs, right? 2568 and 2587. So if you if you only use the process ID, you know, to do the partition. Uh, you will, you will assume that 2568 and 2587 are not related. Right? However, they are in this case, because they are, they are tainted with the same red color. And this is only part of the uh, slapper one invest, uh, intrusion uh, uh, steps. So a more complete description of the, you know, the, the, enti- the complete description of a slapper one intrusion uh, um, um, you know, is shown in this figure. So it involves multiple things, including the um, uh, the spawning of a shell, and also uh, uh, creation of new files, and also the uh, the uh, the, uh, the attack, you know, the, and and also the launching of the next genera- uh, you know, the next round of uh, infection and propagation. So, uh, so these are the kind of the system level uh, uh, features, right, of uh, process coloring. So, process coloring is based on a a, a very solid theoretical, a, a, a solid theory. Uh, it's based on more specifically information flow theory. So information flow um, is a well-established, uh, you know, theory that captures the interaction and influence uh, between objects and subjects. So we this this work is actually a, I consider it as the instantiation of the abstract information flow theory in the context of operating system and also operating system level objects and subjects. So here, each subject, you know, every process is a subject. The subject. Is active, right? And each, you know, like the file directories or sockets, shared memory, and you know these things are considered objects. So these are shared resources manipulated by the subjects, namely processes. So when the process perform an operation on an object, or a process perform an operation on another process, you know the there there are information flows that go you know between these subjects and objects. So the task is to capture them and preserve them in the log. So this is something that has that, that was not done in the traditional log-based um, uh, tools. Uh, and also, uh, 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 I, I I want to I would like to point out that uh, you know process label is the model uh, defined in uh, actually in Florian's uh, PhD thesis, and uh, our work is an instantiation of the uh, process labeling uh, uh, framework in the context of malware investigation. Um so uh we also so uh, t- t- looking at the experimental platform we have also been uh, invest- uh, developing a virtualization based platform for integrated malware capture uh, investigation and defense. So, for the detection and capture of malware, we have built a architecture called a honey farm. So, a honey farm is nothing but a bunch of virtual machines waiting to be attacked by real-world malicious software, right? And then, once you capture, for example, a specific incident, you are able to get a, a a live copy of the of the bad you know of the bad thing, named like the viruses or the worms or you know other malware and then you can do some further investigation. And then in the background you want to redirect you want to re- unleash you know the the malware that you capture. Then you kind of unleash it and you let it run and you observe what kind of bad things it does. Right? And usually this is very dangerous and high risk because uh, you don't want the you know, any negative impact, uh, uh, you know, to be leaked to to the real world. So that's why we have some, uh, you know, advanced techniques based on virtualization technology that achieve the strict confinement of all these negative impacts. So So I call this the testing ground. I call these the uh, the malware testing ground, right? The testing ground has to be confined, and in the meantime, the testing ground has to be uh, has to have a high fidelity because now the malwares are getting more and more uh, smart. If they realize that they are running in a testing ground, they will stop doing the bad thing. So you need to kind of uh, you know you need to come up with some advanced technique, you know, to to make them believe that they are running in a in a real and uh, you know um, uh, a malicious system. So. Once we have these, uh, uh, like the honey farm front end for the capture of malware and the back end to replay the malware, we come up with, uh, we, we, we come up with a bunch of uh, defense and investigation mechanisms. So these are actually, well this is just the kind of for advertising purpose. So we have done some, additional, some other work including the characterization of the behavior of malware. Uh, this work was reported in the Warren workshop this year, and also we uh, uh, track the contamination done by the malware. This is actually uh, uh, described in uh, in this talk today. And also we have some defense mechanism that will randomize the uh, the system uh, runtime uh, environment so that the malware can cannot can simply uh, you know um, uh, uh, you know c- c- cannot can c- you know cannot perform the bad things in the first place. So I'm going to focus only on the contamination tracking, uh, you know, based on the process coloring. And all these are enabled by virtualization. And in a moment, I will show you why virtualization technology is important. So uh, you realize that the key to the uh, log-based investigation tool is the collection of log, because once you have to, in the first place, you have to have trustworthy logs. If you don't, have, if you don't trust your log entry, then, uh, you know, it's kind of like garbage in, garbage out, right? You have to make sure that your log entries are trustworthy. However, this is very difficult to achieve if you don't do something extra. So just take a look at the regular way of collecting logs. Usually the logging module you know, is supported by the operating system and uh, it is running in the same system as the system that you are monitoring. So this creates a problem because you know, philosophically, if you want to monitor something, you're not supposed to be part of that something, right? You have to be somewhere outside However, most of the current monitoring logging mechanism resides within the system that it is monitoring. So that creates a problem. Because once the system gets compromised, you can no longer trust the log collection mechanism, and correspondingly, you cannot trust the log entries. And then all bets are off, right? Garbage in, garbage out. And let me show, do I have, what time is it? Uh, it's 7:00. 7. I have, uh, okay, About fifteen minutes. all right, so. Uh, let me just quickly show you the like this. This figure shows the current implementation of log, a system call logging mechanism, how it is implemented in most of the uh, current software systems. So. I wanna just quickly show you how system call is made, right? You, you have the system call dispatcher in the operating system. Depending on the ID of the system call, it gets dispatched to different code in the operating system kernel, and then once the results are generated, it will get back to the dispatcher and get back to the user space. This is how system call um, you know is performed. And in order to record uh, the system call and its uh, corresponding action, This is the standard quote-unquote state-of-the-art implementation you just insert that logging mechanism between the dispatcher and the actual operation you know the actual um, execution of the system call right so once you have that you can you know intercept the call and then the system call will just you know the system call path the execution path will have to go through this logging mechanism because everything has to be logged the problem is that this can easily be bypassed and there have been reports that show that it can be, you know, such kind of a uh, system called interception mechanism can easily be either bypassed or fooled. And this can be done even without uh, compromising the kernel space. You can, you, in some cases, well not all, you can even do that in the user space. So that, that makes your logs untrustworthy, right? So we take a uh, completely different approach. Uh, you recall the figure that I just show you. You know the way log, are, log entries are collected, and like, take a look at this one. So instead of doing the logging in the system, I do the logging. I do the system call interception and logging, and the storage of logging outside the system. I'm monitoring. So how do you achieve that? You have to let you. you so now, of course, the the, the thing is that it uh, it this is enabled by you know this this virtual machine technology. So instead of running you know, your software in a real physical machine, I run it in a virtual machine, right? Virtual machine is a all software based entity. So basically you can create multiple virtual machines on top of the same physical machine. So the advantage of virtualization is that it gives you the opportunity to monitor these, opera, you know, these virtual machines from outside the virtual machine. So you can see that the interception of system call happens on the what we call the system virtualization path. Right, and the system virtualization path is completely independent of the virtual machine that is being supported. Right, once you can intercept the system call, you generate the log entry, and you do, you don't you don't store that log entry in the in in the system that you are monitoring. Right, that's that's a bad choice. Okay. Instead, you push the log entry to somewhere else. You push it to somewhere that is more trusted. In this case, it you it will be uh, stored in the host domain in that physical host domain. Of course, here we are making the assumption that the, the, you know, the virtual machine achieves a, a you know, strict or high uh, confinement. Namely, you cannot influence uh, you know, things that are outside the virtual machine from inside. Everything happens inside the virtual machine will be strictly confined within the virtual machine. So when, if you accept that assumption, then uh, this will give you a more uh, temper-resistant logging mechanism. I cannot say 100% temper-resistant, but it is definitely more temper-resistant than the previous approach that I showed. Yeah? Well, you have to have a look for uh, some kind of IO interface to look into that virtual machine. That's right, that's right. So, so that, what, that... Wouldn't that be effective for the bad guys to... Uh, uh, no, because uh, actually once you are once you're on the system virtualization path, the bad guys are not aware. So the bad guys are not supposed to be aware of this virtualization. Uh, of course, I think that's a good point because uh, you, so in that case, you, you do have to pay extra attention to the implementation of this system virtualization path to make sure that the bad guys inside the virtual machine will have no influence on the, virtual ma- on the system virtualization path, or more specific on the implementation or data structure of the system virtualization path. Um, anyway, so oops. so we have done some experiments uh, using real-world warrants. So some of the warrants are are the ones we capture using our honey farm. So we just capture them from the real world, and some of them, um, uh, you know, we, we actually also synthesize you know our own malware because uh, we realized that some of the worms, you know, some of the real-world warrants are not are simply not malicious enough so you want to you want to push the envelope and you know and, and also to you know to you know to come up with the most unfavorable condition to test the effectiveness of the malware investigation uh, technique so uh, among the warrants that we uh, that we experimented i want to just show you three representative set of experiments we actually uh, experimented with a dozen more than a dozen uh warrants and their variants and uh, for, the, for the three ones, namely the Lion, Slapper, and SARS ones, uh, we are able to identify its initial breaking point before log analysis by just looking at the color of the corresponding log entry. So these three ones uh, exploit different vulnerability in different software. Lion one exploits the DNS server vulnerability. The Slapper one exploits the web server vulnerability. And the SARS one exploits the Samba. Uh, uh, server exp- uh, vulnerability. So you, you need to identify the specific software then for example the malware investigator will go and you know fix or patch these respective uh, 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 software systems. right? And the, Another advantage is that you will see that the percentage of log entries that I need to investigate in order to reconstruct the episode is significantly reduced. So the best one, the best uh, performing uh, case is the SARS worm So I only have to I only have to process twelve percent, slightly more than twelve percent of all the log entry. I can, I, I'm, I, I I'm, I was able to reconstruct, you know, how SARS one infect my system, how SARS one, you know, install backdoors and everything, uh, by checking those twelve uh, percent of the log entries with the with the specific color, because I can safely discard log entries bearing other colors. Um, so. I want to, of course, by now I I have shown the main features or the main effect, you know, uh, some of the, you know, experiments demonstrating the effectiveness of process coloring or tainting. Uh, I want to kind of flip the coin and also I want to kind of show you the other side of the technique, namely its limitations, right? Uh, So the first first limitation or the first potential problem with process coloring is that, you know, because everything now so depend on the color, right? Or the tainting information. So what happens if the malware gets even smarter? Once it gets into my system, it will try to contact you know, uh, different software and so that it will get multiple colors. So when, you, when, when a bad thing happens, you look at the log entry, you realize that the same that, that single entry has you know, not one, but two, three, or four colors. Then you can no longer tell which one is the real breaking point. Right, so that's bad. Um, but if you think about if if you ha- if you think about this scenario, uh, I was actually um, um, you know encouraged because that actually gives you a additional uh, level of anomaly detection. The thing is that if you see a log entry with multiple colors, which we call color mixing, if you see a log entry that shows this color mixing phenomena. That one, you know, that, that color mixing itself is an anomaly that deserves further investigation. Because if you look at the server environment, if you, for example, for the industry uh, infrastructure where they consolidate all the server software in one physical machine, like the web server, mail server, or whatever, I mean, they, they, they are supposed to run independently. They are running in the same system simply because of, you know, cost cutting or consolidation. So they are not supposed to talk to each other. If you see a log entry with multiple colors, that indicates that this log entry or that corresponding process is influenced by multiple applications. So that is not normal. So that gives you a, a hint or a lead, right, uh, you know, to look, you know, to, to, to explore or to investigate further. So this is what I call an anomaly detection point. And... If you recall, I mentioned that one of the problems with the existing tool is that it relies on an external detection point to trigger the malware investigation. Now, if you have this color mixing phenomena, the color mixing, if you, it will give you more timely triggering of malware investigation because once your system has a lock entry with multiple colors, you can immediately raise an alarm saying that this is not normal we need to go from that specific log entry and we need to trace back and see why that log entry has so many different colors. Right? And semantically, it means that this process has been influenced by multiple server applications. So you may notice that I, I've been talking, I've been focusing on the server side environment because um, I'm, actually I'm less confident in, in saying the same thing about a client side environment. Why is that? Because in the client side environment, applications do talk to each other. Right? Because sometimes you use, for example, a Word editor to edit a file, and then you use the file, you know, you, you edit your source code using a editor, and then the source code gets compiled by, you know, GCC or, you know, other compiler. So you do see the interaction or influence of multiple applications on your, on your stuff. And these are actually legal. So that's a problem. So in fact, the client-side uh, color mixing uh, does create uh, some additional complexity, uh, you know, in, uh, in, in, in 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 uniquely identify uh, the root cause of your uh, uh, malware in- yeah, malware intrusion. Uh, so the second weakness is that we kind of assume in this approach that the uh, you know the operating system kernel has integrity because the operating system kernel actually performs the tainting. Right. As I said, if the tainting mechanism is not trusted, then all bets are off. So in this work we kind of assume that the tainting mechanism which is performed by the operating system itself is trusted right that is i i have to admit that this is an assumption right and in many cases this some um, this assumption simply does not hold because we are we also know that there are many incidents of kernel level malware infection and malware attack like the uh, mal like the kernel level rootkit which is considered one of the most malicious, most stealthy, and the most difficult one to detect and to defend against, right? So uh, so we, 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 so basically, this approach does have the limitation. If, for example, if the kernel-level integrity cannot be guaranteed, then all bets are off. You know, all the tainting mechanism, the tainted log entries are not trusted, right? Uh, fortunately, there have been some parallel works that address the integrity of kernel-level mechanism, right? Um, and and these are so these are work that uh, kind of uh, you know, uh, preserve the integrity and check the integrity of your operating system and raises uh, an alarm if uh, for example uh, if, if your operating system has been compromised um, and also uh, this information flow based approach is not very good in, uh, in, in in detecting covert channels, meaning that for example, if I use like some uh, you know uh, uh, in, like implicit information to uh, to infect or to influence process. Uh, let 's say two processes communicating via uh let 's say the you know the CPU uh utilization percentage or the you know the, the the on and off of disk activity if the two malicious processes you know agree on some of the signals right and they let 's say that i if the disk is on I mean one, and if the disk is off, I mean zero. If, if, the, if, the, if the communication channel between these two malicious processes is via such information, then uh, this approach cannot uh, you know, detect the influence or the information flow, this covert channel-based flow uh, between them. Um, So there have been some related works uh, that are kind of related to this effort. Um, Basically, first of all, the theoretical underpinning is the operating system level information flow model, more specifically process model, process labeling and also uh, some of the traditional or current uh, log-based investigation tools uh, include uh, backtracker and and its forward tracking extension. So basically these are the systems that uh, use the log entries to reconstruct uh, the steps of malware intrusion. Uh, We also have uh, information flow theory applied to other levels. So this is just one level because we focus on the operating system level tainting. And there have also been work on um, in machine instruction level tainting and language level tainting. So they give you also uh, different level, they, they, they reveal uh, you know, the, uh, the malware behavior and action uh, at different levels. Uh, for example, for the instruction level tainting, uh, they are able to, for example, detect, uh, you know, the propagation of a untrusted data, right, in, you know, w- w- with the uh, execution of the instruction sequence. Uh, and they use that to actually characterize the, uh, you know, the uh, the vulnerability of the attack. Uh, and also there are language level tainting mechanism that will perform the kind of the tainting uh, operation within a program, right? And basically their tainting is at the granularity of variables, objects, you know, data structures, you know, things like that. So they actually happen, these tainting operations happen within the same program. So they, they will actually zoom in to the specific vulnerable program to find out what is the root cause of this vulnerability, right? Because so now you realize that these two capabilities, like the tainting operation at these two levels, the operating system level and the language level kind of complement each other. So for the operating system level tainting, I am able to identify that specific software, right, as the breaking point. But what is the specific nature of the vulnerability? I don't know. Right, so you have to do the language-level tainting to uncover, you know, that, you know, that information. Maybe, for example, it's due to a, uh, you know, out-of-bound uh, uh, statement or, you know, uh, you know, a statement without doing bound checking, you know, things like that. Right, so those root causes can only be identified or uncovered by language-level tainting with a with a finer granularity. So in conclusion, I uh, kind of talked about the uh, uh, taint based uh, operating system level tainting based uh, mechanism called uh, process coloring for malware intrusion and the contamination tracing. And it is based on a virtualization, uh, it, it is, based on a virtual machine-based implementation, giving you higher temper resistance for the log entries uh, to perform malware investigation. And it it introduced three new capabilities, right? The first one is to use the color to identify the breaking point. The second one is to use the color to partition the log so that when you reconstruct the episode, you only need to use a subset of the entries. The third capability is the one that I mentioned um, uh, you know, when I, when I talk about the multiple coloring scenario, where you can use the multiple coloring as a trigger for more timely malware investigation. So you don't have to wait until the user realizes something is wrong, right? The log all of a sudden becomes an active entity, an active guard of your system. The log will tell you something is wrong. So that's enabled by process coloring. Um, if I have time, I would just want to kind of quickly show you some of the client-side investigation that we are currently, or we are just starting to do. So the client-side vulnerability is more difficult because, uh, as I mentioned, the client-side applications uh, do communicate a lot. They are kind of uh, uh, different from the, you know, the, the relatively independent nature of server-side uh, software systems. So this one, uh, so basically, let me first show you the incident. So what we do is that we kind of, uh, we, we, run a, we run a vulnerable web browser. Right, this web browser, uh, you know, is not patched and exhibits three different vulnerabilities. Uh, you know, the ones that, you know, the three vulnerabilities, uh, you know, that I show on the left-hand side of the slide. And uh, if this, if this web browser contacts a malicious website, so that that website is set up by some malicious party, right, and they want to compromise your web browser. So once you click this link, you got these 22 applications automatically installed on your desktop. Without your permission, so I, I even had to I even had to kind of uh, do some sanitization before showing you this because. <laughs> so then the challenge is the following: How do you how do you identify? This is the problem of the of your web browser, not like your instant messenger or your uh, you know email reader or um, you know your other software. Right Very similar to the server side investigation, and then, then the next step is to also to reconstruct the whole episode how you know how, how these two twenty two applications get installed without my permission, so you need to reconstruct the story you need to reconstruct the steps and as I mentioned, to do that on the, on the client side, you actually have to deal with more noises you have to deal with many uh, false positive scenario you have to distinguish the real bad things and the and, 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 and the and, and, and the legal uh interaction between uh processes or influence between uh you know of the process on individual objects. So I guess I will um stop here. Um right, time for one quick question. Yeah. Um if if the attack of a malware is not targeted at the kernel um, but targets immediately the log file or mm-hmm. and basically possibly changes the, the color codes for mm-hmm. any any way, shape, or form. Um, how would you detect that? I mean, do, do you take that into consideration at all? Uh, yes, I do. So, I, so the, I have two points to make. The first one is that the log cannot be tampered with by the malware, because the log is stored outside the system, right? If you look at that uh, virtualization-based log collection mechanism. Okay. Uh, so the log is, the lock is not even in the, in, the, in the virtual machine. The lock is outside the virtual machine. And uh, current virtualization technology uh, enables a strict confinement of the virtual machine, meaning that if you are within the VN, you cannot touch things that are outside, outside of VN. My second point is that uh, the tainting mechanism, I mean, the coloring operations themselves, are assumed to be trusted. I do assume that the operating system has the integrity of doing the tainting operation, but that assumption does not always hold, unfortunately, so that's the limitation of this approach. Thank you All right Yes,. Hi. Thank you.